Welcome to the Three Things Podcast. I'm Glenn Kubish reporting. This is where I try to keep track of three things from the week that left traces of happiness and gratitude behind as it whooshed by. Things I notice that I noticed, so the noticing equipment doesn't rust over. This week, number one, microscopes. I remember the moment so vividly still because it was pickled in the brine of junior high school fear and doubt. Strong preserving agents they are. Grade 7 science class, Mr. Litwin was our teacher. He wore a colorful silk scarf around his neck to hide, he said, the marks of the stitches left behind when his head was cut off and sewn back on after a plane crash in the Second World War. He'd tell that story, engage our reactions, and smile. We were studying cellular structure that week. There were illustrations in our biology textbook showing the differences between plant cells and animal cells. It was our job as budding scientists to determine if the cells we were looking at through a microscope were plant or animal, and then submit our findings on paper. On Monday, it was a plant. On Tuesday, it was a plant. On Wednesday, same. On Friday, the easy talk in the lab was that the specimen on the plate was, again, a plant. I thought it was an animal. One of the organelles, I can't remember which one, maybe the Golgi apparatus or the endoplasmic reticulum, was animal in nature to my untrained eye. I said as much out loud and immediately felt the power of the influencers. The athletes thought it was a plant. So did the social set. So did the kids in the students' union. I was alone in my inkling, and I began to swing to the majority. As I handed in my paper, I asked Mr. Litwin if indeed it was an animal cell. He said if I thought it was an animal cell, I should put that down as my answer. That's why it was a test. So I did, even though by then I was almost convinced I was wrong. When the papers came back marked, I was right. It was a microscopic animal cell we had been given for that final experiment of the week. Years went by, decades even, before I realized those microscopes in the science room at St. Francis of Assisi School on 66th Street in Northeast Edmonton, they were being used to look into ourselves. I'm thankful that Mr. Litwin didn't lose his head in that plane crash in the war. I mean, I'm pretty sure he didn't. Number two, jackknife. Oh, shit. That was my unscientific assessment of whatever it was that had just gotten lodged in my bicycle's rear wheel as I headed north at a good clip onto the 142nd Street Bridge over the McKinnon Ravine. Now, this is not the item, but did you know that next year will be 50 years since City Council's decision by one single solitary vote to kill the plan to run a freeway through the ravine? That decision stunned the progress lobby. Crews had already started clear-cutting the trees and installing sewer lines. They put their tools down after the 6-5 to five vote. People ask, what does municipal democracy look like? The McKinnon Ravine is what municipal democracy looks like. I try to call it all to mind whenever I pedal the bridge and look out over the eastern railing to the trees and down to the shared-use path shaped like a giant asphalt divining rod pointed to the North Saskatchewan River. I was just about to replay that bit of local history when I hit the brakes to investigate the back wheel. I turned my bike upside down for a closer look. Somehow, the cord that anchored the right rear pannier to the back rack had sheared off and wound itself tightly around the rear axle behind the sprocket. Even weirder, the little S-hook at the end of the cord was now hooked around a spoke. I didn't want to remove my back wheel because that would require releasing the air in the tire to get it clear of the fender and then pumping it back up. My fingers couldn't loosen the frayed cord. A tire iron was too blunt. I carry a jackknife that must be almost 50 years old now. It's a Camp King, Camp with a K, 
Besides its single blade, a bottle opener, and what I think might be a leather tool, it has a can opener. I always thought its sharp hook made it look like a question mark. That hook was the answer. It let me slowly pick loose the twisted cord and get the wheel back in rolling form. It is satisfying when time, tools, and technique come together to persuade a trivial but stubborn knot of a problem, like the one that questioned me near the McKinnon Ravine Bridge last week, to relent. Number three. Hello, mother. Hello, mother. Drama. After years of acting up in class, I took drama as an option in junior high school to try to get marks for it. In our little troops, we had to write and stage and choreograph our own productions, pick the music, design the lighting scheme, write the scripts. We built and performed our little created worlds before cycling home to watch Gilligan's Island. In one assignment, we had to act out a piece of music. I played and lip-synced Alan Sherman writing his letter, while its scenes were brought to life by my fellow actors behind me. Like a good TV news story, pictures and words matched. They're about to organize a searching party. I don't know if I am the same person I used to be. I tend to think of my life as a series of distinct books lined up on a library shelf, adjacent, touching, but not always talking to each other. But there are moments, hello mata, hello fada moments, when nothing seems to have changed, when the book is still open and the narrative through line is legible. One of those moments happened last week as I stood in front of a classroom at McEwen University and launched into a lecture about strategic communications and the courage it takes to ask the right questions to frame the challenge properly. As I talked, I clicked through a Google Slides presentation on the big screen behind me, so words and pictures matched. Thanks for being out there, friends. See you next time.